The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. Welcome to Prescriptions for Healing Conflict. I'm Lloyd. I'm the show's engineer, and your host is Mari Frank. Mari's been an attorney mediator for 26 years, and during that time, she's resolved thousands of disputes as a neutral conflict healer. She's a member of the Orange County Superior Court Mediation Panel, and she's been a law professor of negotiations and mediation and presently teaches negotiations right here at UCI. She's the author of Negotiations Breakthroughs and co-author of Stepping Stones to Success and several other books. To listen to previous interviews, see upcoming guests, download podcasts, and learn more, visit www.conflicthealing.com. So Mari, what's your show about today? Oh, we have a wonderful show today, Lloyd. I have this fabulous book in front of me called The Joy of Conflict Resolution, and it's got this picture of these people... um, on, on two sides of boulders, and it's it's just great. It's The subtitle is called Transforming Victims, Villains, and Heroes in the Workplace and at Home. And the author is also an attorney, Gary Harper. And let me tell you a little bit about him. Gary Harper is the principal of Harper & Associates, and he's a trainer, writer, facilitator who specializes in conflict resolution. He has a unique blend of experience as a lawyer, general manager, insurance regulator, and retail store owner, all these different things that he's done in his life, and he's learned the real value of clear communication and conflict resolution skills. Now, since 1991, he has trained and mediated in a wide variety of organizations, including healthcare, film industry, government, all over the place. And he's a member of the instructional team of the Center for Conflict Resolution at the Justice Institute of British Columbia. And he recently authored this book that I'm telling you about. And you can learn more about him at our website at conflicthealing.com and also at joyofconflict.com. I want to thank you so much for joining us, Gary. It's a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Well, it is it's so wonderful to have kindred spirits, you know, on the show. And I get a big kick out of the joy of conflict. Um, when I see that, in, and you even talk about this in your book, that, you know, people say, how could you say the joy of conflict? So why don't we talk about why is this called the joy of conflict resolution? Well, it, the end title came about as a collaboration and negotiation with my editor, uh, they like the juxtaposition that you just pointed out of joy and conflict, which few of us put in the same sentence. Uh, I must admit that I personally don't enjoy conflict per se, uh, so I negotiated to have the joy of conflict resolution put in, in that I think most of us find a relief or a joy in the resolution, although the actual conflict can certainly be uh, stressful. Right. You know, I, I always remember that the Chinese word for conflict and crisis is made up of two words, uh, you know, the, the two symbols. One symbol is, you know, crisis, and the other one is one 
represents danger and the other represents opportunity. So, mm. so when I, when I started reading your book and I saw your book, I thought, okay, that's really the joy. The joy is, is recognizing that you don't have to go to the danger. You can go to the opportunity and the opportunity is creative new solutions. So it, it made a lot of sense to me from, from my own perspective as well. So what, what actually got you interested in conflict resolution? Um, well, partly you mentioned my background as a lawyer, and um, I actually was quite uncomfortable with conflict, both on a personal level and a professional level, and uh, eventually left law but continued to use the degree not practicing, and uh, just found that the stress of the adversarial system and continually being on one side or another uh, was really not working for me. And it wasn't probably till mm, 15 years after I'd left law that I went to a workshop on mediation for the insurance industry, and they indicated that mediation was helping people resolve their own conflict. And frankly, at that point, I felt a sensation of clarity as to what I did want. I knew what I didn't want in law, um, the way I was practicing it at the time, uh, but when I heard this, I just was drawn to it and uh, took my first workshop at the Justice Institute, and uh, the rest is history. And you were hooked, yes. Yeah, I was, yeah. Uh, that's a nice way to put it. I, was <laughs> I know, me too. Back in, 19, in the late 80s, there was an American Bar Association conference in Hawaii, and it was a, it was a tough time for me. I was, I was practicing law, but my mother had just died, and, and it was a, a real tough time for me, and I in in one island of Hawaii, and I saw that the ABA had this conference on resolving disputes in Pacific ways. And I thought, hmm, and it was all about alternative dispute resolution and, and helping people to resolve conflict in a, in a much more civil manner through mediation. So I went, and like you said, the rest is history. I mean, that's what just transformed my soul as well. So I can definitely relate that this was something that felt better than the adversarial litigation where people are just trying to prove who's wrong and um, and blame. And this is more about future looking through, what are we going to do about this? We can't change the past. What are we going to do about it? Make it better, make everybody happy, or at least satisfied and move on. So I can, I think we're all kindred spirits out there. <laughs> yeah. So one of the basic concepts that you talk about is the drama triangle. Why don't you explain what that is and and what that all how that works with the circle of resolution? Well, you'd be familiar with the drama triangle, uh, those listening um, from the fairy tales of our youth. It, it's archetypical, and I certainly don't claim credit for it. But if you think about your favorite movies or the front page of the newspaper, Almost every drama has a victim, a villain, and a hero. And I think in our society, we've been subconsciously uh, inundated with that uh, concept, so we're not even aware of it. And in conflict, you likely see yourself either as the innocent victim. I didn't do anything. I tried my best to work with Fred, but he was impossible. Or I might move into uh, hero mode, which is finally I had to just... Fred right in front of the boss that he wasn't cutting it, etc. Mm -hmm. 
And I think most of us can relate to the other person in our conflict we tend to view as the, the villain. Uh, what is insightful uh, or can help uh, with respect to understanding conflict is that the other person also has their story, and you can imagine the role that they see themselves as the victim or the hero, and that we are likely cast as the villain in their story. So from that point of view, it, uh, it allows us to be aware of the lens through which we're viewing conflict in the other person, and my experience, Mari, is that that locks us into I'm right, you're wrong, I'm good, you're bad. Right. And that if I, let's say, uh, aggressively uh, confront you in a meeting, you feel like the victim, you defend yourself, you attack me, I feel like the victim. And uh, basically we can, uh, it leads to a cycle of uh, attack and defend, blame and justify, and we never really identify what the issues are or what our needs are. Yes. Yeah. Now, you also talk about that uh, it seems like there is always a conflict between the region, ver- the regional office versus the the head office or the corporate office, um, different suites versus the, the floor, the union versus management, new hires versus the long-term employees. Um, what about that? Do most of the issues least at work, seem to boil down to belonging and inclusion? Uh, I think that's a a huge part of it. And uh, um, I want to credit uh, Bernie Mayer, who is certainly I've learned a lot from. um, In in chatting about, I call it conflict as its own reward, that I think uh, sometimes conflict is about um, limited resources or substantive issues. But in many cases, it seems that conflict is either repetitive or over such small issues that one, looking from the outside, wonders, you know, get a life. But when we think about it, you mentioned some of what uh, I identify as identity needs. And uh, one of them is uh, a sense of belonging. And what better way to belong than to have an us versus them? And I think... That's why a lot of times where it's those guys in head office or the third floor or shipping, fill in the blank, that they don't appreciate what it's like for us in this other. So I think that tends to uh, band people together, though not necessarily in a, in a positive way. Um, some of the other identity needs are uh, a sense of purpose, and certainly when we're in conflict we have a battle to fight, um, as well as recognition. And I found personally working with a lot of organizations, uh, a lot of times people do not get much recognition until there's a conflict. And then they have HR people, mediators, meetings, and they get a lot of attention. So those are just some of the, uh, the, and the other identity need would be autonomy. And I find this often happens where people, uh, don't feel appreciated, they don't feel that they have independence, and so conflict becomes a way to try to get those needs met. Right. And if I could just add, I I find that those needs can also be met if people are, are members of a, a fully functional uh, work team, that we do get appreciation, we do have autonomy, we do feel we belong. And it's uh, it's almost that if we don't get it, through positive ways, 
uh, people resort to conflict to try to get those things in a in a less positive way. And it's like raising your kids. If you don't give enough attention to your kids in positive ways, then they're going to do something to get that attention. I I, I think that's <laughs> a great uh, great analogy. Um, Gary, why don't you tell us about uh, internal conflict? Why don't you give us an example of what you're talking about in internal conflict? Uh, yes, the longer. Um, I don't know how you found this, Mari, but when I uh, when I started to take conflict courses, and I find many of the students who come to classes I teach, uh, they're desperate to learn ways to change the other person. And the further we get into this, we realize that the only thing we can really change is ourselves, and that conflict, uh, one of the opportunities to go back to your crisis and opportunity is the opportunity to learn about ourselves. Um, one of the sayings that I've adapted from is that all conflict is internal and sometimes may involve other people. <laughs> and I guess one of the uh, the most common examples would be if you were my boss and during a meeting, maybe in front of the rest of the team, you made a, a derogatory statement. You might have just, you know, Gary, that idea is just stupid. If you have an intelligent idea, then speak up. Other than that, don't waste our time. Ooh. You would never say that in real life. No. <laughs> I once heard of a fellow who had a boss that did that. Oh, goodness. And I think the internal conflict would be marked by, on one hand, I would probably feel angry and triggered, and my fight impulse would be, I need respect, I'm not getting it, I need to do something and say something to you. Uh, the other, which would be more the avoid or the flight impulse, would be more from fear or financial security, that if I do speak up to my boss, I'll be punished, given a bad review. Somehow it will come back to, to haunt me. Right. So to me, at this point, it has nothing to do with my boss until I reconcile my internal conflict, which would be my need for safety or job security on one hand versus my need to be respected and on the other hand, and or my reputation, perhaps. Right. And I think how we resolve those internal conflicts really speaks volumes about ourselves and our values as individuals. We can't uh, get away from conflict, but we, we don't have to look at it as something bad. Yes, and I think that's where I, I just call it the broad uh, topic of... Uh, of self-management, and the uh, the chapter in my book that deals with that is called uh, uh, Dealing with Your Conflict Gremlins. Yes. And yes. Uh, that was uh, borrowed from uh, Richard Carson, his concept. But the, the as you say, all of those voices, the sad one that might say it's not worthwhile, or the other, uh, the uh, fight gremlin that would be kind of sound the attack, in le if those run us, then we're in react mode. And yes. I think if we can recognize and acknowledge them, but then come back to, I guess, more of our center, yes. um, who we are as people, which would include uh, mindfulness and, and breathing and maybe having a positive, I call it an inner coach. And mine continually reminds me to stay curious, uh, what's the other side of this, so I don't fall into being too self-righteous. 
Right. It's Not almost that I like ever would, but once <laughs> well, you know what we all we we're all human <laughs> as long as we're you know in this these bodies we're we're on this plane and we're human. Yeah. But but I always like to think of it as like that that higher self within me has to listen and acknowledge the the you know the angry gremlin or the sad one or you kind of have to go around the table and and listen to them all and say okay this is we heard you now we understand now let's problem solve this even for ourselves i mean i I, that's kind of how i see it is you know got that intermediation going on and and it's the higher self that kind of gets you back centered uh i couldn't agree more and and as i said over 20 years i used to think that conflict resolution was about knowing the theory and knowing the skills and the the more i do this work and the more the field evolves is more conversations like the one we're having where your higher self or when we are mindful and we tap into our inner wisdom that allows us to be successful if we don't i think people can have we can have all of the knowledge and all of the skills in the world and unfortunately they're either used for uh, to attack or they get thrown out the window as we uh, fall into react mode exactly so there's the skill of of conflict resolution and then there's the art and heart and soul of of conflict resolution and you have to kind of blend all of them don't you i think that's a nice way to put it yeah yep now tell us about the assumption iceberg well found i found that a lot of uh, conflict I don't know if all, but most, have some degree of uh, of assumptions in them. And uh, this was very helpful to me in terms of understanding where these assumptions come from. And um, the, the common example that, uh, that most people uh, maybe could relate to would be, um, let's assume that, uh, or let's uh, use an example that you and I are supposed to meet for a meeting. And this is now the third day in a row, and you've come in at 9.15, and we were supposed to meet at 9, and we have to get our marching orders for the day, and at 9.30 we have to be out on the road. Um, you can imagine, or I'd ask those listening, imagine how you would feel or what your thoughts or reaction would be the third time that your colleague walked in at 9.15. Most of us would feel disrespected, or perhaps anxious, um, upset, frustrated. Um, And we tend to assume that the other person intended that to happen. So if I feel disrespected, my assumption is going to be, or my judgment about you would be, you're disrespectful. You're unprofessional, you don't care. Right. Now, we tend to judge our own actions if somebody said to you, uh, you know, so what's going on about the meetings? Well, it could be Gary scheduled at 9, and I have a daycare which doesn't open till 8.30, or I'm in a carpool, or it could be that you don't think the meetings are that important. So maybe that is your way of, of showing that. But I don't know what's going on for you about the meetings until I get curious and ask. And the flip side is you don't know what's going on for me about the meetings until I become assertive or tell you. And it's all the iceberg concept is we both know that you walked in at 9.15, but what's under the water, which is so much of an iceberg, is all of the parts of what's going on for each of us internally. 
Right. And I think a lot of the communication skills that, that we both teach uh, can help. By being curious, I can say, Murray, it's, it's been showing up around 9.15, what's up? Right. And who knows what you're going to say. It could just be it's a bad time, or maybe you're upset that I never let you talk in the meetings, and so you don't really care if you get there on time. Right, right. Conversely, I can, through assertiveness, say when you arrive at 9.15, I feel really rushed because we really don't get to cover everything. I need us to find a way that we can meet together when we agree and then ask what's up for you or how do you see it. Right, right. So the, the key is basically to get what's going on for each of us on the table so we're not having to make assumptions about what's happening for the other person. Right. You know that word assume, it's made up of A-S-S. Yes. And then you, and then M-E. <laughs> yeah. So when you make an assumption and you assume you make an ass of you and me. So that's what I teach in my class. And I always tell them, always test out your assumptions, which is very helpful to do. Boy, you could say, gee, I don't mean to assume. Help me understand what's going on here. Yeah. And um, I, I actually have a couple that my husband and I go out with. And they have many, many times, you know, dinners at 6 because we have a play afterwards, and they would get there at 6.20 and then call me on the phone and have me order. <laughs> and finally, I just said, we love you both, but it makes us feel really bad and really uncomfortable and not cared about when you come late. So if you can't make it at that time, should we not do dinner because we're, or should we just not have you for dinner or whatever? So we finally worked it out, and the good news is, is they always come on time. <laughs> And coming from a place is uh, I'm not attacking you, and I value the relationship enough to be honest with you about uh, what it's like from my side. Exactly. Yeah, I think that basically is one of the ways that we end up on the victim-villain-hero triangle is, for example, you could have just stayed in victim mode and not said anything or finally said, I'm going to, and then just blasted them, and then they feel like a victim, and around you go. So that's a great example of clarifying the assumption and being assertive and moving on to how can we have a nice dinner so we both feel respected and relaxed. The one thing I would add to this, which is I think almost a paradox, is I find that many people do not say anything because they don't want to rock the boat, they don't want to hurt somebody's feelings, uh, they don't want to cause conflict. Right. So it, it, one, you know, people could easily relate to how you might not say anything and just suck it up because they're friends and etc. cetera, uh, is that the message that we send through our silence is condoning the behavior that's bothering us. And, and it's, it becomes insidious inside us because even though we say, oh, okay, well, I'm just going to let it go. If, if you're aggravated about it, you may say on the, on the surface, you're going to let it go, but it's going to come out insidiously. And, and that's, I think, leads us to what many of us would call passive-aggressive behavior. Yes. You know, a sarcastic comment. Right. You know, good, good evening or glad you could make it, in, <laughs> which just, again, attacks them. They feel like a victim and around instead of uh, being direct about our perspective or our needs. So I think you're right on that basis as well. It, it goes somewhere if we're holding that resentment. Right. You got to talk about it before you get resentful, before it builds up that 
that, you know, like I used to say that sometimes if you put things under the rug, the rug gets real bumpy and you're going to fall really hard because of it. So, Well, and this links back almost full circle to we talked about the inner conflict, which I'm sure you faced that yeah. uh, would be there are friends, I don't want to hurt them, you know, it might damage the relationship. But the other hand is uh, I need to take care of this because it's not working. Yes. Uh, and you valued, in fact, valued the relationship enough to take that risk and get it on the table so you could move past it. So if that's called gentle confrontation. You bring up the issue, but you, you, you separate the issue from the, the actual personalities. Yes, yeah. Let me ask you this. How do you deal with someone who is defensive? What if somebody would get real defensive with you when you say something, maybe even gently confronting, and they get really defensive? Mm. How do you deal with that, that defensiveness? I don't think there's any surefire um, solution to that in that I may be dealing with baggage that's uh, bigger than the both of us, so to speak. In other words, if I knew that person's history with their mother or how they got love, and maybe it was they couldn't afford to ever admit they were wrong. And so sometimes somebody who we would describe as kind of inherently defensive um, I think all we can do is own our part of it. Uh, in, so I, I tell people that, that um, don't worry, all you can do is deliver your message in a way that, that uh, minimizes unnecessary defensiveness, because there are certainly ways that we can uh, uh, you know, go on the attack, and uh, you can almost be guaranteed that they'll get defensive. Right. So in terms of that um, and the... Uh, the metaphor that I use in the book, uh, in the chapter on defensiveness, is spinning the straw of defensiveness. Because underneath that defensiveness is an unmet need. And um, Marshall Rosen, I just heard a quote from him that, uh, that I thought was just, and I might not have it 100% right here, uh, but he just, he can, when he is... Um, listening to people and who often blame and attack, he has an amazing ability to listen for um, the unmet need. And here's the quote. It says, Every form of blame, criticism, and judgment is just a tragic expression of an unmet need. Yes. So uh, the, the way I, and again, I kind of link this back to, nobody will accept being seen as the villain in the big picture. So if that person, for example, if you had said to your friends, um, you know, you're really inconsiderate when you arrive 20 minutes late and expect us to phone ahead. Well, using that loaded word, you basically said you're the villain. Exactly. And nobody will accept being seen as the villain because I think we all think we're good people and we all have stories. So the difference of describing the behavior, I thought we were supposed to meet at 6, this is the third time that you've arrived at 20 past and asked us to phone ahead. Yeah. Again, you're just stating the facts objectively. You're not putting any blame on them. Yeah, I even, then, I even did it a little bit more gentle but by yeah. starting out how much we care about them. But believe it or not, yeah. we are out of time. So I'm so glad you gave us that quote, too. We are speaking with Gary Harper, who wrote The Joy of Conflict Resolution, Transforming Victims, Villains, and Heroes in the Workplace and at Home. And why don't you just give your website, Gary, and then we're going to have to go. 
Okay, it's www.joyofconflict.com, and anybody that's interested in following any threads of our fascinating and far too short conversation, <laughs> I'd invite them to uh, email me through the website. Terrific. Thank you so much, Gary, and we'll have you back again. Well, I hope so. You've been listening to Prescriptions for Healing Conflict, and I am Mari Frank. Join us every Monday morning at 8.30 a.m. here on KUCI, 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. And visit our website at conflicthealing.com. Let us know what you're interested in, what your thoughts are, and what you'd like to know more about. And thank you for joining us. It's about trust. expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents.